If you are able, if you will stand with me, and we will affirm our, our trust in Scripture together. All flesh is like grass, in all its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. This morning, as we continue our series on the parables of Jesus, we will look at one of the most famous parables, the prodigal son. Uh, This story, in fact, it's so famous that the language of it has just been incorporated into our everyday speech. People would say, oh, look, the prodigal has returned. Um, People will say that whether they are Christian or not, uh, because it's such a big story. Um, It's a story that likely you have heard before, you've read before, maybe you even have read a book on it. But I want to encourage you with Jesus' words that he speaks along with many parables. If you have ears, then hear. I want to encourage you to listen freshly with the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because I have anything unexpected or new to say, but because as Hebrews 4 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen with ears, because God's word is powerful. With that in mind, I'm going to read our story for today from Luke 15, 11 through 32. And he, Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a faraway country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son." Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead, and he is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back 
safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. As we read this story, like any good student of the Bible, we have to ask ourselves, what would the original hearers have thought? How would they have received this? Who were the original hearers? Who is Jesus talking to as he tells this story? The beginning of Luke 15 tells us what's going on. And because we're good Bible students, we know that context is king when it comes to interpreting Scripture. So Luke 15 gives us the context, verses 1 through 3. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So... He told them this parable. The Pharisees and scribes, they grumble about who Jesus is hanging out with. They are upset about who is being drawn to his teaching. What kind of people are responding to Jesus? They don't like it. This is a pattern that we see with the religious leaders. Over and over, we see them saying things like, if this man were a prophet, He would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The Pharisees and scribes didn't like sinners coming to Jesus because they didn't like sinners. They wanted nice and respectable people to be surrounded by them. Teachers of of God's word should be surrounded by respectable people, not by people who rebel against the Lord. Jesus was often breaking social norms as he ministered to people. Many people didn't like it. We see the same thing here. Religious people complain about Jesus, so he tells them stories. First, he tells them about a lost coin, a sheep. And then they rejoice when they find the sheep. Then he tells them about a lost coin. And when they find the coin, they rejoice because they have found it. And then finally, he tells them the story of the prodigal son. So today's parable, we're looking at that, the prodigal son. We will, first, we will look at the younger son. Then we will look at the older son. Finally, we will look at the father slash the son. And my sermon in a sentence is this. God's grace is offered both to the sinner and the self-righteous. God's grace is offered both to the sinner and to the self-righteous. Now let's start by looking at the younger son. We'll start in verse 12. The younger son, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a faraway country. 
There, he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Our story of the younger son starts out with a scandalous and disrespectful request. The younger son says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. This is to say, Dad, give me my inheritance. And we all know that inheritance comes once someone has passed away. So the younger son is saying, Dad, it would be better for me if you were dead. Then I could have your stuff and do what I want. But you're not dead. So can we pretend that you are dead? Can you give me my stuff and I'll be on my way? It's incredibly disrespectful. I can't imagine the heartbreak that this brings to the father. It is clear that the younger son did not love his father, did not love his father's house or his father's rules, but only wanted his stuff, his wealth, and he wanted his money so he could spend it how he wanted. The father would have been absolutely right to say no. No, I am alive. You can't have your inheritance. And in fact, maybe you'll be disowned for asking such a disrespectful and rude thing for wishing that I was dead. But we see the father and what he does is also absolutely scandalous. The father says, yes. He divides his property and he gives the younger son his share. This would have been a third of the estate. The older son would receive a double portion of the younger son um, what's left. It would have been a big hassle, a big blow to the family, because he would have had to sell things and, and dish out what belongs now to the younger son. But the father gives the younger son what he wants. God sometimes gives us what we want, even when what we want will lead to our destruction, lead to our downfall. Be careful what we ask for. The son then takes all his money and goes into a faraway country and squanders his property in reckless living. This is where we get the word prodigal from. Reckless living, lavish spending. Um, Prodigal is defined as spending money or resources freely and recklessly. It's wastefully extravagant. The younger son is free from his father's rule. He lives a life of self-indulgence. Whatever he wants, he gets it. Whatever his heart desires, his heart gets. Unfortunately for the younger son, and unfortunately for us, what our heart wants isn't always good. When we shake off the rule and love of our father and pursue ourselves as the highest good, we will end up miserable and eventually lifeless. It doesn't matter what way we do this, When we make ourselves the most important thing, it will end 
horribly. It could be that we make our sexuality the most important. It could be that we make our pleasure the most important, or our comfort, or our security. The pursuit of self makes us miserable because we are designed to pursue something greater. We are designed to pursue and know and love the Lord. There's no shortage of people pursuing themselves as the most important. This is not new, this is not different. We just see it maybe playing out in different ways. But people have been pursuing themselves as the highest good since Adam and Eve decided to become their own gods and own kings. A line from Toy Story 4, Sweet Bo Peep, um, and it drives me nuts because I like Toy Story. But there's a line that she says, she says, forget who you're supposed to be and be who you are. Shirk off all the rules and expectations of you and let you define yourself. Self-actualization. Everywhere we look, we're told no one gets to tell you who you are or what to do. You and you alone get to define yourself. You and you alone are in charge of yourself. Do whatever makes you happy. This simply isn't true. We are all created by God. And he, as the creator, he alone gets to define who we are. He alone gets to say what is right and what is wrong. He alone knows what is good for us and tells us what is good for us and wants what is good for us. When we rebel against him and go up our own way, we end up just like Adam and Eve, just like the younger son. Away from the garden, away from God, away from life. Ultimately, if we pursue what we think will make us happy, we will end up unhappy. We need a wake-up call. We need to see things as they really are. We need to see our sin as sin. We need to see sin as unhappiness. We need to see sin as death. If we don't see reality, and this is a terrifying thought, if we don't see reality, we will happily pursue ourselves as the highest good straight to hell. Without that wake-up call that says, this is not good, this leads to misery, we will happily pursue our own sin, and we will leave the Lord. Fortunately for the younger son, in this story, it's not what happened. He gets two wake-up calls that come at the same time, both God's grace, I think. First, he spends everything he had. He's broke. He doesn't have money. He can't pursue the things that he wants. He lived extravagantly and above his means. This was a self-inflicted wound. Yet, nonetheless, it would end up being good for him. The second thing we see is that there's a famine. Circumstances that are beyond his control. Both of these things combined lead him to a job feeding pigs. For a Jewish man, this would have been doubly disrespectful. Pigs were considered unclean, and he's feeding them. And then, not only that, he's longing to eat what they're eating. He's in a bad spot. But this is not a lesson in financial responsibility. The moral of this story is not if the younger son would have budgeted 
been saved for a rainy day, then when the famine came, he would have been okay. No, the famine is God's grace. Him being broke is God's grace because he sees reality. In verse 17, he says, it says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The younger son finally sees reality for what it is. He recognizes that where he is is miserable, and he recognizes that to be in his father's house as a servant would be far better. As Psalm 84.10 tells us, a very uh, encouraging verse. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. The younger son recognizes his sin against God and against his father. He knows it's time to go home. He recognizes the state that he's in. This is God's grace. He remembers his father. He thinks even my father's servants have enough to eat. He is repentant. He says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And he knows there is nothing he can do to make up for the pain and heartache that he caused his father. So his plan is to say, can I be a hired servant? And then the father goes home. Or sorry, the son goes home to the father. The younger son we see turning from his sin and going back to the father. We will see in in just a moment how the father responds to him. But first, let's turn our attention to the older son. Here we'll pick up in verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The older son is not like the younger son at all. The older son did not leave, did not ask for his inheritance early, did not squander his father's money. He worked hard. He followed the rules. He was a good son. But as we look at how he responds to his brother coming back and how he responds to his father coming to invite him in, we will see that his heart is not where it should be. The older son's not like the younger son at all except where it matters most. He is strikingly similar. When the older son hears a party, he wonders what's going on, and he asks the servants, and they tell him, your brother's back. Your father's killed a fattened calf. How does he respond? 
Is he excited? At last, my brother is back. We thought he was dead. He's alive. He's home. I know he's headstrong and reckless, but he's come to his senses. He's come home to be with with his father, with me. No, that's not how he responds. Maybe he would be a little hesitant. Maybe he would say, the last time I saw my brother, he caused a lot of pain. He caused a lot of heartache. Hopefully he's learned his lesson. He'd be a little cautious, but at least, at least he's alive. My brother is alive. No. He is angry. His brother comes home and he is angry. Who is he angry at? He's probably at least angry at his brother. When his brother comes home and is received by his father, that means his brother will now, the younger brother will now get another inheritance. Because the younger brother is now a part of the family again, so when the father dies, he will get an inheritance. And, and he doesn't, the older brother doesn't like that. His younger brother doesn't deserve this. He, after all, he went away. He lost all of his, his inheritance. He wanted my father to be dead. Now he's going to get another one. This isn't right. His younger brother doesn't deserve this. It would be better if his younger brother stayed away. It would be better if his younger brother was dead. I think this is reasonable to assume how the older brother might be thinking towards his younger brother. But as we look on, we see that he is also angry at his father. His father came out and entreated him, come into the party, come celebrate, come rejoice. And he answers his father, look. He doesn't even bring himself to to address his father as dad or as father or with respect. He just says, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not his brother, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? How dare you? Is his response to his father. This is incredibly rude and disrespectful to his father. He's angry at his father receiving his brother back. Why? He says, I served you. I never disobeyed you. But I don't get what I deserve. This son of yours gets more than he deserves. I've been a good son. I've been a good servant. I'm not like your other son. I'm better than him. But you don't care. You don't care about me. You never even gave me a goat. You haven't given me anything, but you're giving him the best stuff? You killed the fattened calf for him? He's a worthless son. How could you do this? How could you welcome him back to the family? Don't you know that I will lose my stuff when you welcome him back? The older son is a self-righteous person who has become judgmental and bitter. He thinks that he is so great, he deserves more than he has gotten. He can't stand to see someone who doesn't meet his standards, his expectations, be celebrated. So he becomes bitter. This isn't right. I deserve better. I deserve more. I'm better than him. 
he shouldn't get this, I should. Now, where does his anger and self-righteous, self-righteousness and judgment, where does it lead him? Where's the older son? Standing outside the party. He's not celebrating with his father. He's refusing to go in. And he speaks disrespectfully to his father and seems to hate his brother. When we look at it, we see that the older brother is much more like the younger brother than he would like to admit. It appears in this story that the older son also cares primarily about the father's stuff and what he can get. His father is giving his stuff, the best stuff, to someone else, and he is angry. We see these two sons, they each follow a different path, but they end up in a similar place. Both sons at one point are miserable. One got there because he did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, however he wanted, and pursued himself. The other got there because he followed the rules and pursued himself as the highest good. Remember, Jesus is telling this story to both sinners and tax collectors and the Pharisees and scribes. And he tells it because the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. The younger brother represents the sinners who were coming to Jesus. The older brother represents the Pharisees who were grumbling. The Pharisees were judgmental. They had no desire to see others come to know the Lord. They were self-righteous, thinking that they obeyed God because they washed their hands and tithed and went to church. But Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs who are leading people straight to hell. We see that people who are self-righteous, they are just as big of sinners as those who do it plainly, who openly rebel against God. Look at Judas. Judas is one of the twelve. Close to Jesus, he criticized the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil, saying, that should have been sold and given to the poor. What was Judas doing as he criticized that woman? Stealing. Stealing money, keeping it from himself. Self-righteousness isn't righteousness at all. We need a better righteousness, one that comes from outside of us. Lord, open our eyes to see your righteousness and to see our sin. Finally, let's look at the father and see how he responds to each of his sons. First, how did he respond to the younger son? This is incredible. The son who wished he was dead. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
Let us eat and celebrate, for my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. We see that the father seems to be waiting and watching for his son, because he sees him while he's still a long way off. And then while he's a long way off, the father runs and gets him. Would have been wearing robes, would have been an old man, again, breaking social norms. Old men would not run. It would have been um, a social faux pas, to say the least. But the father runs and embraces him and falls on his neck and cries. Because he saw him and he felt compassion. Not anger. Not superiority. Not dread that his troubled son was back to make life hard again. Not bitterness, not disappointment. But compassion. And as his son starts in on his speech, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Can I be a... But he doesn't get to that part. His father just moves on. And he says, go get some clothes for him. Go get the fattened calf. Put the best robe and bring a ring and shoes. He is showing the younger son, you will not be a servant in my house. I'm going to dress you as a son not as a slave. He is showing his son that he has been restored. Then, the father shows his joy by throwing a party. He is happy. He is overjoyed because he thought his son was dead. But he's alive and he is home. He is with him. Friends, this is how our Heavenly Father responds when we wake up and we return to him. When we repent of our sin, and turn to God. He has compassion. God is the father that you can call when you are at a party and have done things you are ashamed of. You don't have to hide from God. In fact, hiding from God doesn't do any good anyway. He sees you. And when you come to him in repentance, he will not be angry. He is delighted to have his children with him. He rejoices when someone turns from their sin. The Lord is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. So turn, turn from your sin and go to your loving Father. Now, how does the Father respond to his older son? While his older son is outside, pouting, he goes out and he gets him. He does not say, and this would be, I think, very natural for me, to say, fine, you're lost. You don't want to come join the party? You're going to be bitter? Stay out there then. But his father goes and entreats him. He has compassion on him. And after his son berates him, about accepting his father back? This is how he responds. He says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. He reminds his son that to be with him is far more important than stuff. 
And everything that the Father has, he shares. He gives to his Son. And then he gives a gentle rebuke. He says, we should be celebrating. Your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and he is now found. This is a great day. Come celebrate with me. Come into the party. Enjoy the fattened calf. The story ends there. And we're not sure what the older son does. Jesus leaves this story open-ended. Because he's saying to the Pharisees and the scribes, to those who are self-righteous, he's asking a question. Will you come to the party? Will you humble yourself? Our Father gives his grace to both the sinner and to the self-righteous. He invites both to the party. He goes out to get both of them. God desires for his people to be with him. So much that, again, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Our Father gives His Son so that we can be with Him. He wants to save people from their rebellious hearts. He wants to save people from their self-righteousness. He wants to show people that a life lived to glorify anything other than Himself is a life that will end in misery. But a life that is lived to the glory of God will end in a party, in a celebration. What about the son that our father sends? Tim Keller points out in his book, The Prodigal God, that Jesus acts how the older brothers should have. In Hebrews 2, 9 through 11, it says, We see him, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angel, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus calls us his brothers. He is not embarrassed to call us brothers. In fact, he says, I will taste death, death for my family, for my siblings. It is he who for all things exist and who made all things exist. He sanctifies us. He is not ashamed of us. Instead of responding in bitterness, Jesus gives his life for ours. God gives his grace to both the sinner and the self-righteous. I don't know about you, but I easily fit into both categories. It's so easy to want to be our own God, to do what we want, when we want, how we want it. It is easy to say to God, God, I want your stuff. I want your blessings. I want your wealth not so sure about you. 
It is also easy to think that I am great, and I deserve more than I have, and I deserve more than you have, definitely more than other people who are sinners, other people who don't match my standards. If only the world, if only everyone in the world was just like me, things would be better. That's not fair for others to get what I rightfully deserve. I'm so glad that God gives his grace to sinners and the self-righteous. And God is inviting us to a party, to a feast. He says to the sinner and to the self-righteous, come find forgiveness in me. Come find rest in me. Come find joy in me. Come feast with me and be with me forever. I am with you always. As we turn to the Lord's table, let's feast together in the presence of our Father. Let's come in worship and love of our God who saves sinners and self-righteous. Let's worship the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who welcome us with grace through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Here at Chatham, we practice open communion, which means that if you are a believer, if you are a son or daughter of the living King, come and join us in communion. If you are not, don't come, don't take. Not because we are running out of stuff and we got to be careful, but because you need Jesus. So instead of coming and taking of the bread and of the cup, go to Jesus. Turn from your sins. Turn to the living God and live. If you're in the balcony, there's communion up there for you. Um, There are prepackaged things of communion in the back if you don't want to come forward. If you are unable to come forward, please raise your hand and an elder will come and bring communion to you. Just make sure you raise it high, or if you see someone around you who hasn't gotten it, get the attention of Clifton so he can see and bring that to you. Let's pray. Lord, we worship and rejoice that you are compassionate. You are merciful. You are gracious. You are slow to anger and you forgive. Lord, our sin is great. Our rebellion is great. Where we confess that we want to do what we want and when we want it and how we want to do it. Lord, we are often tempted to be our own gods. And we are often tempted to judge others to place ourselves in your position. Lord, I'm thankful that you save people like me. You save people like us. You sent your son to make us sons. Lord, now we come to your presence. We worship you, remembering what you have done for us how much we need you.